Not too long ago, my original exposition was supposed to end with verse 28, and I cut it short with the first half of verse 27, and then I forgot that I cut it short, so when I went back, I started up uh, uh, a couple of verses later, and I skipped a verse and a half unintentionally, so tonight I'm going to expound that verse and a half and maybe even go further. We'll see. But uh, uh, tonight I'd like to expound verse 27, the last part, and 28, and I'm looking forward to it very much. So tonight we're going to begin with the second half of verse 27 where wisdom tells us, now remember wisdom has been speaking to us in Proverbs chapter 8. Wisdom is another picture of Jesus. It's another side of Jesus. Remember in the book of Genesis, Jesus was the great creator. In Exodus, he was the great redeemer. He was the Passover lamb. And, uh, and that, that, that brought out those in bondage and set them free. Leviticus, he's the great high priest. We looked over those things, just to give you an idea uh, how Jesus is the, uh, the all in all of Scripture. He's the fullness of the Godhead, as another Scripture puts it. Well, here in the book of Proverbs, Jesus is wisdom. So when we're learning about wisdom, we're learning about Christ. We're learning about God, who is God in the flesh. Or in the book of Proverbs, he's God made wisdom unto us. And so wisdom has been telling us about the creation. We learned last week that wisdom is the great architect, as uh, the Hebrew word described him in the verses we studied last week. And here wisdom tells us that he was there when God created the heavens and the earth. Specifically, he was there. Look in your text now at the second half of, 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 of verse uh, 27. He was there when he set a compass upon the face of the earth. When he set a compass upon the face of the earth. So when God set a compass upon the face of the earth... Wisdom was there. Remember what the Gospel of John said. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And so here we see this uh, harmonizing with the Gospel of John. When he said, when he, that is when God the Father, set a compass upon the face of the depth, I, wisdom, was there. He was with God. He was God. In the beginning, he was with God, he was God, when he set a compass upon the face of the depth. I hope you see. So to understand what wisdom is talking about tonight, we're going to have to go back to the first two verses of the Bible. So if you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Keep your place in Proverbs 8. And put you a marker in the book of Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to be going back and forth tonight. I've been looking forward to this study with you. Genesis chapter 1. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth. What is wisdom talking about? Well, if you'll look here in verse 1 and 2. 
The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So in the beginning, the earth was without form. Meaning God had not yet formed it into the divine fashion that He ordained for it. But then, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of these formless waters. Moved upon the face of the formless watery deep, and began arranging the earth according to his wise and sovereign will. I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 that the Bible calls the waters, quote, the face of the deep. If you have your Bible open, you have a pen handy, you might want to underscore that phrase, the face of the deep. Now notice here in Proverbs chapter 8, since you should have a little uh, your finger or a little piece of paper or something there. Notice in Proverbs chapter 8 verse 27 that God set a compass upon what? What did God set a compass upon? The face of the depth. So what are we talking about? The exact same thing. Whether it's the face of the deep in the book of Genesis or the face of the depth in the book of Proverbs, it's one and the same. Wisdom is telling us tonight about what He, wisdom, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, did with the face of the deep back in Genesis chapter 1. Now, it gives me chill bumps when I think about it because what's happening here is, okay, you remember, you remember when Jesus was here on earth? And he would take the Old Testament. You remember how he did like on the road to Emmaus? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he began explaining the things in those scriptures concerning himself. You remember when he spoke to the, the, the crowds and he would say, well, you know, he would read uh, like in, uh, in the temple he would, or the synagogues and he would read a passage of scripture and he would start explaining some things. Or, and he would comment on the scripture and he would say, well, now you've heard in old time this, but I'm telling you this, not contradicting, but enlarging upon it. What we have tonight is the same thing. Wisdom is speaking to us tonight in the book of Proverbs chapter 8. Wisdom is Jesus Christ. God made wisdom unto us, as the New Testament puts it. Wisdom tonight in the book of Proverbs is giving us a commentary on the book of Genesis. That's really cool. Wisdom is talking about what happened with the face of the depth, which the translators worded the face of the deep in the book of Genesis. But it's the same thing. It's all of him saying, I was there when he set a compass upon the face of the deep. Same, same thing. Okay? So we need to look here and, and see what wisdom is telling us tonight. Why is he giving us this commentary on the book of Genesis, and what is it that he has to tell us about it? Wisdom says that when he, through the Holy Spirit, moved upon the face of the waters, he, quote, set a compass upon the face of the depth. Now take your pen and underscore the words, set a compass, there in Proverbs eight twenty seven. 
set a compass. The Hebrew word translated set here, which is what we're going to look at first, it literally means to hack, to cut out, to engrave. And, and, I, and I think the best way, because none of us know much about engraving here, or hacking or cutting out so much, but being country folks, at least the older folks in here, we might know a little bit about whittling. You know, about whittling. So when I grew up, every boy had a little pocket knife. I, when I got me a fingernail clipper with a little uh, little cleaner in there, I, I thought I considered that my first pocket knife. When I was a boy, I felt real big. I want everyone to know I had one of those little things that flipped out like that, a little fingernail file. But everyone had a pocket knife, and they whittled. And when they're whittling on that wood, they're whittling into a particular shape. They're setting that wood into shape. The same Hebrew word here for engraving, for hacking. Okay? And so God, through the Holy Spirit, He sets, He engraves, He takes this formless, deep mass. Because the earth was without form and void, remember? And darkness was upon the face of the deep. So He takes this mass kind of like you would the wood or, or maybe uh, uh, clay, you know. And, and he sets it in order. And how does he shape it? How does he whittle it? How does he engrave it and mold it into order? What did he set? He set what upon the face of the depth? What did he set? A compass. A compass. All right? Now, we're looking about a compass here. If you were to think back to your uh, school days, I think I may have used a compass some in the highway patrol too on scale diagrams. Do you use a compass anymore or is it all computer now? All computer. Huh? Drone? Drone? Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> man, I'd have to relearn everything. Over We had pencil and compass and all that. But... How many of y'all have, have seen a compass before? Not a magnetic compass, but a mechanical compass with a pencil on one end and a point on the other. Have you ever used one, Abigail? All right. So when you stick that pointed end on the paper and you stick that pencil on the other and you do like this with that compass, what shape do you get? Huh? A circle. The Hebrew word here for compass is circle. And the reason I'm describing this to you is so you'll know why the translators translated, he said, a compass. Literally, if you were to put it in our modern language today, he set, he took this formless mass, and he began setting it into a circle. Setting it in its proper place into a circle. Wisdom, the Lord Jesus says, I was there when God the Father did that. Why? Because he was with God and he was God when that happened. The Bible says that uh, by him, by Jesus, were all things made and without him was not anything made that was made. The Trinity was all involved in that. 
God the Father, God the Holy Spirit who moves upon the face of the waters, and the Lord Jesus Christ who is God's Word, and He sets that formless mass into the shape of a circle, a compass. Okay? And so that's what He's describing here as what took place. Now, I want you to think about something here for a moment. People used to think for a long, long time that the earth was flat, right? I mean, you, you go sailing, you sail too far, you just fall right off of it. Be careful. Don't travel too far, you'll fall off the earth. Historians tell us that the first documentation of someone considering that the earth was round was found with the Greek Empire, the Greek philosophers. And that was back in the 5th century B.C. The philosophers philosophized that the earth was round. 5th century B.C. There's some quacks that still think the earth is flat, but they're not worth considering. We all know it's round. Do you know what makes us really, really, really know it's round? Because we can send up a ship from the earth's surface and it doesn't have to go back very out very far and you can look back and see the earth we've all seen pictures of the earth it's round we know that but do you see the scriptures were ahead of the Greeks the scriptures in the book of Genesis here in the book of Proverbs wisdom's telling us in the book of Proverbs I made the earth round. Here's this king named Solomon. The Holy Spirit's writing through Solomon. And the Holy Spirit tells Solomon what to write. And Solomon writes down, the earth is round. I wonder how many people, when they read that, that he said a compass, he engraved a, a, a compass on that formless mass. I wonder how many people read it and thought, they don't know what they're talking about. It's real clear. Just look out here. You can see the horizon. The earth is flat. But no, God knew it was round. The Bible is always ahead of the scientists. Always ahead. Jesus' wisdom says, I was there when he did that. When he set that compass. The Bible knew that wisdom created the earth round before the Greeks were even a nation. Before the Greeks were even a thing. And so wisdom says, I was here when God did this, so I am superior to the Greek philosophers. I am superior to the NASA scientists. I am superior. I am the only person, in fact, who's qualified to speak on the matter of creation. Wisdom was here when God created the heavens and the earth. Wisdom says, I was here. Look in verse 28, please. When he established the clouds above. So now he's telling us that the earth was made round because we don't see that in Genesis chapter 1, do we? The Bible doesn't say he made it round in Genesis chapter 1. And so Jesus, wisdom, 
gives us a commentary on Genesis chapter 1 and says, Oh, remember when the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, Let the waters uh, uh, come back and let the dry land begin to appear. You remember when all that happened? Well, we made it round. That's neat, folks. That's really, really neat. And now we know through science it is round. Which back then they didn't have that advantage. He says, I was here not only when he made the earth round. I was here, verse 28, when he established the clouds above. That is above the round earth that he made. Which is again, is another excellent commentary on the book of Genesis. And I'll tell you why. This helps reinforce what I've been teaching in uh, the Genesis of Jesus class next door. When God established the clouds above is found in Genesis chapter 1. If you'll flip back to Genesis 1 again. Genesis chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. He says, I, wisdom says, I was here when he established the clouds above. So let's read what Genesis 1, 6 through 7 says about when God established the clouds above. It says, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Now, the first part of creation is all about division. God divides light from darkness. God divides water from land. Now God's dividing water from water. Now the only way to divide one thing from another is if there's space between the two. If you're going to have a division, there has to be a divider, right? You have a row of pews here, you have a row of pews here. The only reason that you can have this division of this being a row of pews and that being a row of pews is because you have an aisle in the middle. Otherwise, it'd just be one long row all the way across, right? So when God says that He established the clouds above, He's speaking of that time in the Genesis when He says, let there be a firmament in the heaven and let it divide the waters from the waters. So you have the waters that God drew back and He called those seas. And now He takes a portion of the waters from the seas that are on, on the round earth that He made and He puts them up on top of the earth. And just as there is an aisle that is a division, a dividing space between the rows of pews, there is a dividing space between the water that is on the surface of the earth and the water that is above that surface. And we would call that the sky. The Bible would call it the first heaven. Okay? But it's, or the firmament here. Okay? It's, it's the firmament and so that firmament is the aisle, if you will, that dividing space between the water on the surface and the water above. Now the water above, that's the clouds. That's the clouds. And when I grew up, and, and I bet there's some in here that have heard this taught this way. And if you've been taught this way and you believe this way, I, I'm, I'm not trying to offend you, but... I was taught incorrect, and in just studying the Bible, I realized, where did they get that from? <laughs> it's just not right. But when I grew up, there were some science 
um, gurus that used the Bible and they taught that when God divided the waters from the waters that he made like a watery canopy around the earth. That it wasn't the clouds, it was a water canopy. And there was like this, what would you call it, uh, barometric, what do you call that chamber? What is that thing? Huh? Hyperbaric chamber, kind of like that. Whatever it is, somebody online's typing it in right now, and I'll sit after I get home. Thank you very much, but it's not helping any of us. And you know what they do? A lot of them type it in after they Google it real quick. Then they'll type it in. They'll say, they're going to think I'm smart. But I think it may be of a hyperbaric chamber. You know what I'm talking about though, right? And they said it created this atmosphere on earth so that that's why men and women lived longer back then. Because it, it, it cut out the solar rays and you had this, this pressurized, super oxygenized chamber on earth. No. God was making the clouds. How do we know that? He tells us right here what the waters above the firmament were. He said, I was there when he established the what? The clouds. The clouds. But they taught us back then, no, there were no clouds then. There was this, this dome around the earth. And then during Noah's flood... God caused the dome of water to collapse and it went that made the deluge and that now the dome's broken and so we don't have it anymore and now that's how come people don't live as long and they say before that time there was no rain on the earth they say it never rained until Noah's flood how many of y'all ever heard that taught before got a lot of hands going up right now that's incorrect. The Bible does not. Oh, we got someone scrolling up there. Yeah, it's incorrect. I know you've been taught stuff your whole life. I understand. It's not right. He established the clouds. And God made the rain. But they say, no, there was this dome. There were no clouds. And it was like a hyperbaric chamber. And, and then when, when God told Noah to tell everyone that he's going to cause a flood to come, all the people are like, ah... That's not going to happen. They've never seen rain before. Because it never rained on the earth. They said, what happened was, God watered the earth during that time through a mist that went, Shh. All right now, so have you ever been inside the grocery store? You've seen that, right? I love those things. I love it when it happens. You're inside the produce aisle. And while you're in the produce aisle, you're minding your own business, and suddenly what? Shh. Right? This mist comes out, keeps everything nice and moist and fresh and appealing to the eye. And so the, the teaching was that there was this that would come up like that from the earth, a mist. And that was what watered the earth. And so that's all men knew. Okay? And, uh, and, and so there was no rain before the time. Now, the reason they teach that, they take this from the book of Genesis as well. And if you would turn to uh, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, if you would, we'll look in verse 4 through 6 for right now. 
But we'll, we'll go to verse 7. But right now, look here in Genesis chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. In other words, this is how it took place. Genesis 2 is a summary of Genesis 1. Okay? Genesis 1 tells us what God did. Genesis 2 comes back and kind of summarizes it and gives a little more information about it. And so Genesis 2 says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the, hev- the earth and the heavens. Verse 5, And not only the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field, very important, before it was in the earth. You see that? Before it was in the earth. And every herb of the field before it grew. Very important. For, now you notice the word for there. That's explanatory. It's explaining uh, that uh, the, 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 the plants did not get there by some type of man-made uh, uh, action. They got there by a God-made action. They got there by divine work, not by human work. And so Genesis 2 says, verse 5, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And so what they do, they read this and they say, oh, well that means from the creation of the herbs to the creation of man all the way to Noah, there was no rain. God never caused it to rain. And so there just went up this mist and that's how everything was watered all the time. That's not at all what the passage just told us, is it? It's talking about what happened before the herbs were there and how they originated in the first place. In other words, when we walk out and we see the herbs, we see the trees, we see these things, if we're not careful, we could look and say, look what man's done here. Man has planted all of these things. Man put these things here. Man spread them around. Or maybe there was some cosmic action or some natural force that took place that caused these plants to grow. Maybe evolution caused it to grow. And Genesis 2 says, no, now this is how it took place. Because once upon a time, there was no herb in the ground. Once upon a time, there was no tree in the ground. And this is how it took place This is how it was before God did this. And God had not made it to rain upon the earth. There was no way for the uh, herbs to be here. There was no man to till the ground. Nothing that's in the ground, whether it is food that we eat, whether it's an apple tree that we like, nothing was put here by man. Nothing was put here by nature at this time. God spoke. God caused it to come about before 
there was rain. Before there was a man to till the ground. And so he goes on to say here, uh, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. Back then, there wasn't a man. Now, with no man, no rain, God then speaks and says, you know, let the herb cover the ground and let there, there be uh, trees that bear fruit with, with seeds bearing fruit after their kind. And it was so. That's how it took place. And after God did that, look now in verse 6. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. You see how that goes together? So there's no rain. There's no man to till the ground. There's just a barren land. There's light. And there's God. And there's land. And there's seas. And without anything else, just like when God called light out of darkness, God calls life and vegetation about of a dry, barren ground with no help from nature at all, no help from man at all. And once he did that, then God calls it to rain. Then God formed man from the dust of the ground. And so when he's saying here, there went up a mist from the ground. So watch what happens here. Back in Genesis 2. There was no rain, there was no man, verse 6, but after he grew the, the vegetation, there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. All right? And so what's happening is this. After God establishes the ecosystem here, the mist coming up from the earth is talking about the evaporation just like it does today how do we get the clouds in the skies evaporation a mist comes up from the earth and once it comes up from the earth we have what condensation then we have precipitation and it waters the whole face of the ground and so Genesis is describing to us this process that God established and then after he did this, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Jesus said, I was there when God established those clouds. I was there when he separated the waters, when he created the firmament. I was there when he started the waters to go up from the heat of the sun into uh, go up in the air, however God caused it, whatever, uh, however God originally caused that mist to go up. I was there when the mist went up and He established the clouds. Look back in your text. Now in uh, Proverbs chapter 8, not only when He established those clouds, but look, when He strengthened the fountains of the deep. So wisdom says we didn't create a canopy in a hyperbaric chamber. We created clouds. 
and we, we strengthened the, faith, the fountains of the deep. And when he's talking about strengthening the fountains of the deep, the Bible is talking about the same word for strengthen here is found in other scriptures in the Bible. It talks about the mighty ocean, how the ocean is mighty. Same word here. The ocean is strong. And so God created the ocean and he gave strength to it. People can sail the ocean, but nobody can tame it. It has mighty waves. It crashes into the rocks. It, it goes out. It, it, it comes back in. And God has given power to that ocean. And even the movement of that ocean, I believe it has a lot to do with the oxygen and everything coming in and out and the, and the ecosystem, however he, he does it. But he empowered the fountains of the deep. He pressurized the, the fountains of the deep. That's why we have springs today of water. That's why we have rivers of water. There, it is a continuous cycle of movement. There is no pump. I used to have a swimming pool in my backyard. I had to have a pump. I had to have filter. I had to have electricity to power it. And I had to have somebody with a strong back and a weak mind to get out there and rake all those leaves out all the time. That was me. Then I got a good mind and I filled the pool in. Planted a garden in it. But here's the thing. God strengthened the fountains of the deep. He empowered them. We have no pump. And yet, all these billions and billions of gallons of water are constantly moving and going to the sea. And the mists coming up back to the clouds. And the clouds going over the face of all the earth and sending water back down with precipitation. And then draining back and then going back into the rivers and moving right back to start everything all over again. God strengthened them. There is not a municipal water treatment plant anywhere that can even hold a candle to God's system that he implanted in this water. And it never needs winding up. It never needs electricity. I mean, it... It just runs by God's power. He strengthened it. And by the, the, the laws of, 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 of energy and motion that he established in our solar system. It's absolutely amazing. Wisdom says, I was there when God did all this. If you'll look now back in Proverbs chapter 8. And let's sum this up and we can go home. Proverbs 8 verse 31 Yes, we skipped some because we taught on these last week. Proverbs 8.31 Wisdom says that he was rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth. Remember? And my delights were with the sons of men. We looked at that last week. He said, which was a marvelous scripture last week. Jesus' wisdom is telling us, my delight was with the sons of men. Me and the Father were rejoicing every time we made something. We'd say, the, the, the people are going to love this. We're gonna, we made it beautiful for them. And we couldn't wait to form that first man from the dust of the earth. And breathe into his nostrils a breath of life. And put a spirit in him so he could know God. So that's what it was all about. Here we were rejoicing. 
in the habitable parts of the earth. That is the place that we made for men to dwell. Just like parents would fix up a nursery for a baby that's on its way. They stand back and look and think, oh, the baby's going to love this. And because of that, verse 32, wisdom now says, Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, his children. He created the earth for us. He made the habitable parts of it. He created the Garden of Eden. And then he put the man he formed therein. Because he loved man. He, he, he loved us before we were ever born. Before, he, before we, we ever breathed our first breath of life in this, in this world. And he says, because I, I did this for you. I created the world for you. I was excited about you and I loved you before I ever formed you from that dust of the earth. So therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Do you see what wisdom's saying here? The same wisdom that's telling us this is the same wisdom that told the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20. I am the Lord your God. This is when he gives the law. Those Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments don't start off with, I'm God, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do the other. It starts off like this. I am the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why? All other gods would put them back in bondage. Brother Shepherd's been teaching on that to the historical books of the Old Testament. That's why they kept going into bondage. That's why they kept losing their, uh, their freedom as a nation. Because they kept serving these false gods. God said, I'm the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I'm the one that set you free. So I have no other gods before you besides me. I want to keep you free. Now let me give you some commands. And those commands were his wisdom. And if they hearken unto those commands, it would make sense. Because the same God commanding them to do these things is the same God that brought them out of Egypt. In other words, since I brought you out of Egypt, the, the, the house of bondage, it's apparent that I, your God, have your best interest at heart, right? And so here, the same God that told Israel that in Exodus chapter 20 is telling us this here in Proverbs chapter 8. Saying, I was there and we rejoiced. Me and the Father rejoiced in the sons of men. We rejoiced when we made the Garden of Eden, the habitable parts of the earth. We rejoiced when we did these things. So listen to me, children. Because I love you. And I want you to listen to my ways. I want you to hear my wisdom. Because then you will be blessed. I am the Lord your God. Which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage. I am the Lord your God. That created the heavens and the earth for you. And with that we'll go ahead and stop. And Lord willing we'll take back up. In verse 32. Next Wednesday. And see what wisdom tells us to do. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your precious word. 
We thank you, Father, for the commentary you give us on Genesis. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus was there from the very beginning. He was there, Lord, when you established the world. He was there when you took that formless, lifeless blob of earth and set a compass upon it. God is spinning round and round and separated the light from the darkness. He was there when you separated the waters from the waters, the water from the land. He was there the whole time. He was there for us, Lord, then. He was there for us, Lord, at the cross where wisdom died for us, was buried and rose again. And Lord, he's still here now for us as the head of his body, the church. Lord, may we hold fast the head. Take heed to your wisdom, God, that you give us through him. Walk in your ways that we may be blessed by your grace.